following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Napa know-how. This month, get a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil plus a Napa platinum oil filter for $21.98. That's a pretty unbelievable deal. But trust us, it's totally real, but only for a limited time. So get Napa full synthetic and a Napa platinum oil filter for $21.98 today. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices do not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 4 My name is Matt Perez. My name is Satchel Drakes. And this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. Hey, Matt. Hey, Satchel. What's on your mind lately? So, I kind of wanted to talk about activism and entertainment. Um, it's something I noticed Ooh, definitely this year. That's a heavy topic. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's definitely heavy. Um, but, you know, with everything that's going on, like, it seems like there's a lot more political involvement. And it's fun. I think, like, the biggest podcast this year is Pod Save America. Yeah. 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 I've listened to a couple episodes from that. Mm-hmm. It has a former speechwriters uh, for the Obama administration. Um, but it's, like, a, a neat mix of, like, I think what made it so popular aside from their like you know their involvement in politics beforehand was they have this like nice mix of they'll inform you what's going on in politics but then they very much are activists they very much want people involved and it's not just the traditional let's uh, start a conversation it's not just a traditional oh you know what to do how to get involved in politics they're very practical of like right no this is what you could do these are resources you can use um, and it, it, everything kind of builds towards that end of like getting people involved in the process. And I think, you know, that's something, I mean, you notice with it, like a, another humongous, I mean, show that's right my now. favorite part about any kind of, thing. I mean, even just tweets, cause there've been a lot of tweets like talking about, Hey, we're really trying to amplify this situation, this, this cause. And yeah. the best part of anything is when there's a phone number or there's like a link to something that you can take action on right away. Yeah. And I think it, I mean, it totally is. I think another show, like, last week tonight does the same thing, where at the end of their episodes, they are, you know, he will, like, pinpoint somewhere you could go, or, like, making, say, yeah. like, contacting the FCC way more easier than it actually is. Like, yeah. and I think that's, like, it's tapping into, like, I guess, probably, like, a flaw of a lot of people, probably young people, is, uh, you know, the the idea of becoming active in, in whatever... um calls you have it seems kind of in your mind daunting but i think a lot of these new shows um are trying to make it where it's like no 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 like we totally get it we totally get why you want to get involved or whatever here's the easiest way possible to have your voice heard or like how to like contribute toward a cause so you feel good about it kind of thing and um i don't know it's like i don't know i'm sure I, you know, I, I, there's always been um, activism going on, but it, it feels especially amplified now. And it's just interesting to see how maybe video games are wrapped up into that, you know? No, 100%. I mean, even just living, I mean, both of us, we kind of live near NYU. Like, they've been a huge proponent of sort of amplifying that. And I think probably one of the bigger conversations this year, um, and no doubt it can be attributed to the political temperature is uh, world building and sort of this idea that like if you're ever making – like when you're making a video game, you're always world building. You're always building a world and part of that – part of what's going to inform that is going to be your worldview and that the absence of a worldview actually doesn't exist. Uh, But you're kind of always infusing one inside of what you're doing. It's going to color the way that you write in indigenous people. It's going to color the way you – given a sort of accent or a flourish to people who are in positions of power. Like it's something that's always going on and it's really cool um, when there are games or there are institutions that sort of um, kind of discover and, and empower like creators to talk about how that kind of stuff comes about or like what, we might be doing that we're not paying attention to. And breaking away for a moment to thank Amica Insurance and LifeLock for supporting the Forbes Overworld podcast. More about these sponsors later in the show. Well, I guess that's the thing, like, with games is, you know, it's not, I guess, like, in, I don't want to make broad stroke assumptions, but, like, 
I guess like in a traditional story, like if if you're going to go from point A to point B, you just cut right to it, right? Whereas in like a lot of games, it's like no, you there's you have to like walk there, or you have to like you know actively um, you know move throughout a space where it's not just going to yeah. cut out you know the quote unquote boring bits, which in itself like those boring bits actually really inform like how you're living in the space and how your decisions matter in the space. Like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really think of that. It definitely is like how you are portraying this world. Like a game that comes to mind is, um, uh, 1979 revolution black Friday. I don't know if you've played that. No, I haven't. What's this about? So it's about the Iran revolution in 1979. Uh, and it's, you play it as a photojournalist, um, and you're just going throughout the space. Um, but and there, you know, there's a story that's choice based. Your choices alter the story, but it is like a really cool. It reminds me. Have you seen Fruitvale Station? No, no. So that was about um, uh, an Oakland shooting, a police shooting of an unarmed black man, and it was you know we're seeing that way too often nowadays. But it's also what I think what happens a lot with news is. Um, it can be cold, and I think people get cynical about it. And it's it's really easy for some people to take the people involved in news and like just put them so far away that they're just kind of like caricatures and everything. Right. Yeah. So I think what Fruitvale Station does, and similarly what this video game does, is it tries to tell this person's story and like portray them like their full life and not their full life, but like. How who they are like flaws and all who they are so you really get a sense of like you know what what th- what this event really did to like a family or something and especially like I guess like with what Iran like my God there's so many opinions on that and there's so many different perspectives of our relationship um, um, with the country and to go like go back and like now let's see like his- historically like what happened at this moment and like explore that space and these people and these characters and this, this, you know, what, what occurred at this very, you know, insanely like insane moment of like, we're told like the country changes all of a sudden. And like that, I think that's like a cool way that media, but especially games where you have like an active participation that can portray these things and help you not just educate, but maybe, you know, let you think about something in a different way. Right. Yeah. And I think another one is uh, this war of mine too. I think we've talked about it before, but like it creates a system where you work within that paradigm. And it's like all built, like those decisions inform this anti-war message. And that's like a really, it's because it feels experimental. It feels, you know, it's not going down one track. It's based on how you react in this world, how you're living in it. And you know, and I love that it puts it back – like it puts everything back into the mind of the individual and all the different things that they have to worry about on a day-to-day basis. I mean that's what I loved about Papers, Please as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like with the Im- immigration with that game. It's so funny because I, th- I feel like Lucas Pope, the creator, was like, yeah, I just noticed it going through an airport and like made this game. But he also like housed it in like the Soviet-inspired stuff where it's like – this seems like more pointed than your point. This seems loaded, <laughs> even though we found out it's not. Like, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Like this, this idea of like you're taking this like job that like you probably like. I don't think most people either understand or they don't. Um, maybe don't even give much mind to. But like the the amount of control you have in that game, and like you decide if like someone gets pulled away, uh, and it's like, do you follow the rules? Do you try to? be a hero. I mean, you have a family at the feed kind of thing. Like all of that, like really it's just strange because like you, you know, we have these like ideals in mind of like you pull back and you go like, no, this is what I would totally do in that situation. But then you put it into like, I guess what, what makes games a little bit different is like, you can make these set of rules that a game is going to be unchanging. Like, no, you have to follow these rules. Um, right. You know, right. we might give you these options, but you it's have that to... Remi- like, hey, you're in reality. In this reality, you can't divide by zero. Like, we're we're mm-hmm. here. Yeah. It's, yeah there's no waxing poetic about what your moral compass is. I, I love those moments in games where they sort of subvert, like, how much we love our moral compass that we were given. Mm-hmm. And say, no, actually, if circumstances were different, we're capable of doing some really we're, – we're capable of doing some really terrible things. Like not in a dark way, but meaning more like um, 
when the stakes are high, we start really – our master rationalization steps in and it yeah. starts changing how easily um, we make the decisions that we think that we'd make. And our sort of like practical, I don't know, like ideology gets separated from our sort of just mental, you know, if things were perfect ideology. Oh, yeah. That's the thing, like taking that – having this one world view that's unchanging and like – it's so like in your mind, it's like, no, like I would follow this forever. But it, then it's like, okay, how about in this situation? We're going to challenge it. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm about to take, you might have to make some compromises kind of thing. And like to pull that into like an experience where you're actively having to make that decision that you're in that every single moment you're there. It's not just cutting away at the perfect time or something like that. It's really interesting right. to like explore that and see what type of, messages or like ideas that you can take away from that you know uh one thing that came to mind for me with with world building actually and it happens a lot in video games and there's actually been a lot of controversy around it and it was it was pointed out really poignantly in um an interview recently that Chadwick Boseman had um he plays Black Panther of course in the uh in the in the Marvel universe and he's from Wakanda which you know in the comic books is it's an isolated nation you know it's isolated by the people's kind of own choosing and it's like this technological utopia and he was often kind of asked why he chose to have a uh he kind of ha- he has like a very strong thick african accent and like he was he would be on these interviews where where people would essentially ask like why does he have this this accent when you'd assume that somebody as educated as him would have a more european accent and he said what he said i thought was really interesting where he said people think about how race is, is has affected the world and it's not just in the states like he said uh now now it's quote like colonialism colonialism is the cousin of slavery and colonialism in Africa would have it that in order to be a ruler his education has to come from Europe. Um I wanted to be completely sure that we didn't convey that idea because that would be counter to everything that Wakanda is about. It's supposed to be the most technologically advanced nation on the planet. If it's supposed to not have been conquered, which means that advancement has happened without colonialism tainting it, poisoning the well of it, without stopping it or disrupting it, then there's no way that he would speak with a European accent. Like, I can't believe that question. I hope it wasn't, like, asked in a way of, like, yeah, why is this happening? Like, I hope hope it was, like, I'm like, (laughs) yeah. Um, But no, like, I think um, 2017 was great for films, and, like, one of my favorite was get out um but like i loved what um jordan peele talked about that where he was like a lot of like how you experience that film is like what you bring into the theater like it's and which makes it almost seem like you're an active like part of it of like how do you Mm. like because i i don't want i'm not gonna spoil anything but like it very there's you know it's a horror movie that has uh um uh edgar wright kind of um um influence from it so there's going to be like a twist on like your perception of things and like it's that that's i think that like halfway through like the moment that something happens it like totally skews like what you thought you know what you basically what you brought in the theater of like how you thought this this was going to go kind of thing and like i love that um being able to explore that kind of different side like uh, that different identity kind of thing of like no this is what you thought this is you know how we're going to prevent uh, present this idea um and, and and you see like the conflicts within what you assume and like what they've shown you and like that's really cool and like you said uh i think a lot of games are starting to you know portray that um and explore that a little bit more definitely it it's great when sometimes the best part about a game is the conversations you have with people afterwards absolutely I just remember growing up having conversations about your experience in the game, but then it's like, okay, let's put this extra layer of context on it where it has more of a narrative-driven or character-driven aspect where then you have those type of conversations from your experience playing um, a game. It just seems like that kind of medium where that's possible. Like, not that like other mediums don't do this, but like, I don't know, like even this more, the, the most subtle, small thing, like it, I sometimes just like, go off on a conversation about where it can just be like a very small element of a long game, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I, I love this idea of like exploring 
games and activism or games and like education, um, you know, using them as a tool to, you know, inform about social issues or different situations or different people and stuff. And to that end, we're going to speak with Susanna Pollack. She's the president of Games for Change. It's an organization that empowers game creators and social innovators to leverage games to make social change. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Doing a lot of holiday shopping from your mobile device? Retailers expect 54% of holiday shoppers to visit their sites from mobile devices. Scammers see this as an opportunity to steal your credit card information and other personal data by distributing phony retail apps. Be cautious and only download apps from reputable app stores and read the reviews for any complaints about malware. One in four people have experienced identity theft. If you're only monitoring your credit, your identity can still be stolen in ways you may not detect. Thieves could sell your information on the dark web or get an online payday loan in your name. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats. If you have a problem, U.S.-based restoration specialists will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. LifeLock can uncover threats that you might miss. Join now and get 10% off with promo code Forbes. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or go to LifeLock.com and use promo code Forbes. That's Forbes to save 10% now. Susanna Pollack, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for like having me. This is uh, a great opportunity to talk about our work to a gaming community. First and foremost, I'm really curious to know, how did you personally get involved in Games for Change? What was sort of like, um, what was sort of like the draw? What was kind of like the vision, like when you guys first started and how has it sort of evolved? Um, I actually did not come from uh, the, a gaming background. I came from a media background, um, and I worked in television for many years uh, for the BBC. So I always had the strong connection to the power that media and content and storytelling can have on audiences. And the more I looked into the interactive space and, and where you know audience and people were, were consuming their media and their co- content, um, it really drew me to games. Um, I didn't found uh, Games for Change. I came into the organization a little over four years ago, and we are 14 years old, about going into our 15th year. So there definitely were visionaries who uh, came from this space, you know, who initially saw the power that games can have beyond entertainment. I I guess not to talk in, like, broad strokes, but, like, what was, like, I guess – the differences you see between television, you doing persuasive messages through there and uh, games. Um, well, they're the biggest thing um, I think about games is the sense of agency that you have as a, you know, as a player, you're not just a consumer of media. It's not a passive experience the way you watch a documentary or, you know, watch a movie that's, you know, being shown to you through someone else's eyes. I mean, maybe drawn into a story, you know, you might feel emotionally connected to the, to the characters. You might even get angry, feel like you want to be active, but in a game, um, the, the mechanics are such that you actually are controlling in many cases, controlling the interactions and that that you make and can effectively um, change the outcome. And I think that relationship to content is very powerful um, and uh, and allows you to go places that a linear story can't. I guess there's also the element of like empathy, where you can have, I guess, a lot. Like I, I think probably like film and whatnot sometimes have like certain roles to create empathy between you and the protagonist. Whereas like games, I think sometimes there's maybe a little bit more, you can be a little bit more liberal with what the character is doing or like what type of activities they're engaged in because it already has sort of that built in, like you reaching out, interacting with it. Would that be like accurate? Do you think? Yeah, no, totally. So I think it is, it is connected to the agency point um, that I just made it's uh, very specific what the game designers are 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 arranging for the experience for you but the sense of agency that you have is such that you're able to participate in this role-playing experience and step into someone else's shoes and see how they may react in certain situations you might be failing at something you have this sense of mastery um, you, you have this connection often in the first person with the characters that you have a choice to step in with. And so because of that, I think the sense of agency is a sense of empathy um, 
is really powerful um, and the relationship that you connect with um, with the characters within a story. Uh, so absolutely, I think that's that's true. You can always have like experiments, I, I feel like, where you create a situation and put, you know, an active participant in it. And it's like, okay, what, how, how does this person like react in the situation? What do their actions speak to or what do they say? And I guess that can sometimes create the message. Yeah. I mean, when I look at, when I look at games, I, you know, there's so many different things that games can do for, for people and for groups of people, you know, absolutely a game can design can be designed to help uh, build a sense of tolerance or empathy, right. To bring, uh, to b- better understand another culture, another person, a situation. But a game could be also built very specifically to educate someone, right? To transfer knowledge, learning games that are being used in the classroom now. Um, games that are built to help that sense of mastery, like that experiment you're talking with. So you're learning through failure. You know, you're constantly you're trying something that doesn't work. You try something else. You try something else, you achieve a level by, you know, by c- completing the task and get a sense of, of pride and, and um, you know, accomplishment and then move up to another level. So, and then, you know, that's gameplay, but that's also how one learns, right? So that's another way that games can actually be used for, for good. Um, and then there's, there's other type of games that could be used for... Um, literally for bringing communities together in a, you know, in a, uh, you know, in a, a game that's played online, um, you know, an MMOG. So there's, you know, there are platforms that are designed to, to, to bring these different uh, people together and, and have experiences that are um, communal um, that sense is a, a better sense of, you know, of community. And then there are games that are, you know, there are other games or games that help you um, with cognitive training or through therapy. You know, there's some just amazing creative use of games um, that are out there by different disciplines. Oh man. Like what, especially with that, it's, it's great. You mentioned therapy. I think of mind light that kind of comes to mind. The, uh, Totally. I I I, th- I remember I remember there sort of being an association with the games for change specifically. It's sort of like a it has like a neurofeedback headset, and it kind of trains you to keep calm while exploring things. Um, yeah, yeah. There yeah. are two that are like that. That's mind light, which you really have to sense. It, it it helps with your breath, right? And you have to focus and be calm yeah. as you go through different experiences. But then there's like the opposite approach to that never mind um which is a horror game that basically does the same thing it's helping you manage your anxiety but the calmer you are and it, and it has connects you through bio biofeedback and the calmer you are the better you advance to certain levels um because you're oh my master gosh, being in that environment <laughs> oh, wow. I love I how love subversive that. that is Right. I feel like I need that actually. <laughs> like that saying's like really useful for I know like I have high anxiety. I know other people that have it very like debilitatingly. Like ah, that's a really interesting idea. That's awesome. Yeah. I agree. I was curious if maybe you could speak a little bit about uh the Games for Change Summit and uh the, the ways in which like let's say there are there are developers out there who like have an idea for a game that speaks to either a marginalized voice or speaks to uh, a kind of condition that people aren't familiar with or, or could benefit from knowing more about um how in particular does game for change sort of uh amplify i guess rec- both recruit and then empower people who would like to make games like that just overall, what Games for Change is a community, um, and it, we're a not-for-profit, where we seek to empower game creators and innovators, right, to use digital games to drive impact. And um, we do that through a number of programs, but our biggest event of the year is our festival, um, the Games for Change Festival, which takes place in New York at the end of June. Um, look for our, at our website. We're going to announce dates soon. Um, and we have we, we bring together a really interesting uh, 
group of people who are using games at Impact. And it's it's awesome because it's not just the game developers who come to explore and the game designers to explore what's happening in the space, but it's scientists, researchers, educators, people who work at large, you know, foundations, or a lot of people from the government come from NASA, the Department of Education, or the National Institute of Health. Games are being used in so many different disciplines, and it's really being recognized as a powerful tool to do what I said earlier, to educate, to be used in therapy, to use to bring communities together and develop empathy. So we had this event, we bring together about a thousand people across these different uh, disciplines and we celebrate and uh, the best games that are happening out there and the best projects um, and talk about new ways of research and new techniques of connecting with people. Um, so we have that for two days, and there is a marketplace, so if anyone has a game that they're interested in presenting um, there, you can uh, contact us to present. But we also have an awards ceremony um, ourselves, and our awards are a little different than other awards. We're looking for to give awards for the, be the most social impact, the most innovative, best game design, best learning game. So if you have a game that launched, I think it's from January 2016, 17 to March 2018 um, you can submit your game and consider for one of those awards uh, and then the last thing I'm going to say about our event too is that we um, we're focusing on virtual reality too so we launched a VR for change summit last year right on. which yeah we're so excited about that um it opens up the community beyond just i mean game designers who are making vr projects we've been highlighting and showcasing that work for a while now but we're going beyond that to other content creators who are just creating really interesting vr projects with an impact i'm really interested in seeing how people at like deal with this additional layer of involvement of immersion, like having virtual reality. I know, I don't know in great detail, but I know like Charity Water and a couple of organizations like that have already um, been using virtual reality as sort of a conduit for experiences that are overseas um, to sort of get people in, in a better understanding of how their contribution can help people, whether it's a situation of building a water, a wa uh, like a water well in Africa or something like that. Um, that's really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what the organization has to do with that. Yeah, so um, there are so many interesting projects happening in the VR space right now. And a lot of, um, uh, I would say, in, uh, inspired uh, organizations are, are exploring this medium. So Planned Parenthood did a, a project with an emblematic group uh, called Across the Line that I think what like on the one on the on the um, festival circuit this past year, but it's basically an experience where you uh, you embody a person who has to cross a group of people demonstrating against an abortion clinic as you as you walk in to get healthcare, and they used real audio from people you know badgering you know, uh, those uh, clients or patients who are trying to enter and they animated that and you have to maneuver through the, the crowd and, you know, it's really powerful um, what what can be done. And yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, have That's you guys heard cool. about this project called Snow World? Uh, Ooh, what's this? Yeah. So Snow World is, is another way that VR, and it's, it is a game that can be used in therapy. So Snow World came out of University of Washington, and it's basically a, a VR game that you that are that is designed to help burn victims um, manage their uh, manage the level of pain during therapy because therapy for them can be you know, physical therapy incredibly painful and changing bandages. So this yeah. game was designed where you basically are playing, you're basically tossing snowballs at penguins in the Arctic while listening to Paul Simon music. Like it's so like oh. takes you totally to another place, and it, but it works. So like it works from a neural, you know, neurological oh my level gosh. in making your brain Get that you out are of in here. a cold that environment. That is so wild. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so wild. I love that. Yeah, it's really cool. So that so that's another way that VR um, and games too, to a certain extent, can be used to help rewire your brain to function and to heal. Um, 
which yeah. is just crazy stuff. Are we, is it is it becoming a more commonplace thing to kind of find these sort of uh, higher education institutions, I guess, instilling programs that, I guess, enable students to do things like that? Like, it, it almost sounds like um, a means in which, like, a group of students, if they have a really good idea that is contributing in, like, a monumental way, like, they can get grants for this kind of stuff, like... Is that is that is that a kind of real thing that's going on? Is is Game for Change involved at all? Like, I, I'm I'm really curious to see how the how the yeah. ball is moving with that. So, yeah. So there are close to 500 game you know game design programs and given certificates around the country. So it's you know it's a it, there are a lot of institutions doing this and and there are opportunities that we have to work with some of them to help their students think about how they can apply this skill that they're learning to an impact, right? Something for impact rather than just making a game for entertainment. So um, every year we work with Carnegie Mellon University, their uh, entertainment technology center, where students design a game, a social impact game at part of a semester, and then they get to demonstrate that game at our festival. Um, so I guess we act as like a sponsor of, of that program. And um, this year, let's see, last year we did a game about empathy. We asked them to do a game about, about um, in VR around empathy. And um, this year the game is, I think, around tolerance. Um, so, so that's one opportunity. That's amazing. And, yeah. Another one that I'm working on actually is funded through uh, Carnegie Corporation with a university in Hoboken called Stevens um, Stevens. Technology. And we're advising, again, a class where they are being asked to design games around nuclear security risk and civil defense. How awesome is that, right? You can spend an entire semester just making a nuclear war game. It's a cool way to shed light on some topics that should be talked about more, but sometimes, you know... (laughs) You're not. It's not always like found in uh, certain media. So it's like that's really awesome. <laughs> yeah, we actually have a program that we run with younger students, middle and high school students, which does exactly that. Um, it gives an opportunity to, to learn how to make games, but again, we tie it to social impact, and we give uh, students prompts in which to design their games around. And we often are working with partners who aren't necessarily interested in game design, you know, as a focus, but they see this as a backdoor way to get kids thinking about the issues. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask about that was like getting uh, students involved, like actually games in the classroom kind of thing. Like, is that something you see? And like, because I know I think when people hear that, they think that's it seems absurd to them, but like. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, no, this uh, using this media like as you would literature or film, like to get into a subject or like to explore different ideas. It seems like it makes sense. Um, <laughs> like, can you speak on that? Totally makes sense, and it makes sense for a number of reasons. I mean, one, kids enjoy doing it, right? So, if it's a game that's designed well, regardless of whether they're learning, it's they'd rather do that than read a textbook. Um, but on a um, on a practical level, uh, games allow an opportunity for teachers to like evaluate the students' performance on the back end, right? So you have all this data analytics that are being tracked um, for students as they're playing playing the games. So it offers this actually other opportunity for educators to help. Um, you know, to help uh, guide the learning process for kids to see, you know, what level are they stuck on? Are they able to pass this one? You know, this geometry level or something like that. So there's a, there's a whole industry out there of, of people working in the ed tech who are making amazing games for the classroom. Um, you guys, actually, there's a, a, a story that started uh, at Games to Change where Sandra Day O'Connor who was Supreme Court justice, you know, her first initiative when she left the court was to start a video game company. Really? Uh, Because, yeah, she wanted to help teach middle schoolers about, um, about our, um, you know, our court system and about our government process. And 
she started a company called iCivics, and now they have over like 20 games that are being just distributed throughout the country that teaches kids about civic about civics. That's amazing. And it's amazing. Yeah, because I, I know my friend would love to hear this because he's a high school public uh, physics teacher, and he always wants to involve. He's, he always loved the video games and always wanted to involve it in his curriculum or find out ways to do this. And like, it, I, like when I think we talked about this before was there's so many, I guess there's a, a certain sect of games which is like decision based. And a lot of these decision based games, like at the end, give you metrics of like what decision you made. And I just remember, you know, sociology or psychology classes where we would do these experiments and it would be really interesting to like use a game to put someone in a scenario. It could be even something as like something like Stanley Parable where like, okay, how did you approach the situation? Like, why did you approach it that way? And like exploring that kind of topic or doing it in a lit class where, um, you get into a certain theme, um, and that a game explores and, uh, you know, you, you explore questions, uh, through that and see like, as like a group, like how you answered things or yeah. like how you individually. So there's a game answered. that was made last year um, called Henry, uh, called Walden about Henry Thoreau's experience up at Walden Pond. And it is just that. I mean, it's an exploration of his book through a contemplative meditative experience. It was made by Tracy Fullerton out of USC. And actually the National Endowment of the Humanities uh, was one of its main, main funders. And it gave an opportunity for people to experience that book in a completely different way. Yeah, that's so cool. To me. So cool, right? Um, so, so yeah. So there's the use of like games as a uh, as a medium for the content delivery and exploration. And then there's like the whole process of of youth making games, right? And applying these STEM skills that are so important that they develop these days, the coding skills, and then becoming uh, creators of content mm-hmm. too. I guess it's the other end of is like um, the idea of like activism or like getting someone off the couch kind of thing and like yeah. getting involved and like having these type of experiences to do that is really cool. Especially I think um, I think it's overlooked that like making a game. I mean, it's so it's so it's very, very hard and strenuous. Um, but like the tools are online. And if you wanted to create an experience or, you know, uh get into coding or something there's a lot of resources online to do that where it's i don't don't think the barrier of entry is too high which is really cool i think yeah Yeah, absolutely i'd I'd be really interested in seeing how games for change has evolved since the sort of like resurgence of a general interest in in independent well i I guess more like just an explosion of people these these tools becoming more accessible and people and you know um like console marketplaces like internet marketplaces creating a more accessible venue for people to share the kind of things that they've made yeah absolutely so that's you know the um uh, the introduction of of those platforms like Steam has, and and obviously the the app, Apple Store and Google Play has changed the distribution model for independent developers. And as you said, it's less you know it's becoming less costly to produce, and you have an outlet for distribution. So you have games that are remade in mid range and lower range you know uh, production budgets, and they and some you know and they're getting recognized and you have independent, you know, individual game developers making something um, like papers, please in their basement and then putting on steam and selling half a million units. Right. It it can be done. (laughs) And what a wild play that was. You know, know, last April, I remember loosely following an event called the games for change student challenge. And I'm kind of curious to know um, if you're familiar, I'm kind of curious to know what kinds of stories and experiences are some of the younger voices trying to create? Well, um, that's a program that we are running in five cities right, right now, Uh, New York, uh, LA, Michigan, uh, Detroit, Atlanta, and Pittsburgh, and we we are in the the beginning of that that uh, pro, the kind of cycle. But the past cycles that we've done, you know, we we encourage students to design games around specific issues. We kind of give them a prompt. We want them to um, uh, to learn about something in particular because we also give them uh, information for them to do research around. So we we kind of help guide that process. But we do yeah, try yeah. to pick themes that are relevant to them, that um, that gives them an opportunity to, to explore something that is 
you know, that affects them personally in their community. So like this year, we're having students design games around news literacy and fake news. You know, how to, how to Oh, I love it. <laughs> awesome. Right. So they that is are great. exploring how to navigate all the information that's coming out of them and identify what's real and what they listen to. Um, so that's, that's really cool. We've done, um, we've done themes on, um, like immigrant voices telling your story or, or someone from your neighborhood who's an immigrant. Um, and that helps, you know, develop sense of empathy and understanding about what families go through when they come, when they come to our, our country and, um, you know, and, and have to, you know, uh, restart their lives. Um, so that's another kind of more of a sociological kind of empathy building idea. I love that of taking a new story and exploring it in a more like narrative driven aspect. So you really get the sense of like where, where they're coming from. Whereas like, I think news can sometimes be very cold and like to like explore it in that way is I think extremely valuable and that's really awesome. Yeah. And the stories yeah. these kids told, I mean, they get very personal, you know, it, because uh, we work primarily with um, in urban cities and with underserved youth. And so many of them are coming from families who are first generation or, you know, have moved here within their lifetime and they have an outlet, a creative outlet, in which to express themselves in a, a new way. And it's, it's, I think it's very empowering. Well, yeah. So this, this has been like extremely enlightening and great. This has uh, been so much so fun. Happy Thank to talk you so to you. much. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Without you. a doubt, like talking too. about games at the intersection of social issues is like, it's near and dear to myself. I know it's the same for Matt as well. So it means a lot that you could spend the time with us to talk with us about this. And, um, People listening in podcast land really need to check out Games for Change. Where people, where can people find you and uh, Games for Change? So we're it's it's easy. We're gamesforchange.org. Um, spell it out, and it's F O R gamesforchange.org. And as said, we'll be announcing our our festival dates. Uh, I think towards the end of the week, but it'll be in June in New York. Um, love to have you guys. Definitely come and check us out. You'll learn all about a lot of new amazing game projects. You got to do a demo area. We have a big VR space. I'm here. I'm in New York. I'm definitely coming. (laughs) Great. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. And we'll be right back after this quick break. The support for Overworld comes from Amica Insurance. We're living in the age of the discerning shopper when savvy consumers increasingly favor brands that value authenticity, ethics, and a great shopping experience. Mika is committed to being a company people trust. Visit meetamika.com slash Forbes and find out why 95% of Amika customers with combined auto and home policies stay with them. One more time, that's meetamika.com slash Forbes to find out more about Amika Insurance. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Up next, Paul Tassie and Eric Kane discuss their most anticipated new video games of 2018. Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Paul. And uh, we're going to be talking about 2018's biggest video games and kind of what we're excited about. Yeah, so for the purposes of, of discussing this, we are going to assume that all the games that say they're coming out in 2018 will actually come out in 2018, <laughs> even though we know that is almost certainly not true for some of these. But we don't actually know what's going to be delayed, so I guess we kind of have to give some games the benefit of the doubt. Um, but with that said, uh, what, what would be one of your first picks, Eric? Um, you know, I think that I'll just pick kind of one of the biggest games coming out next year, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, uh, which, you know, could be delayed because Rockstar does have some notoriety of delaying games. But, uh, you know, another big another big single-player game from Rockstar is always exciting. We never got the the DLC, the single-player DLC for Grand Theft Auto V. So, and we haven't had a Red Dead game for, uh, you know, Gosh, how long has it been? It's it was the Xbox 360 era. So. I mean, we even had a Rockstar game really in like what four or five years since GTA. Yeah, it's been a long time. They just don't make games anymore. They just make GTA Online content. So that's that's a big deal. Yeah, 
Yeah, it is. It's so, and it's you know we haven't seen a lot of it yet, but the, the first or well the last game, Red Dead Redemption, was a lot of fun, and you know I, I'm excited to see what Rockstar can put out. You know with PS4 Pro and Xbox One X, and you know graphically it should be pretty awesome. And and I don't know, there's something I, I get tired of the big open world games, but there's always something fun about the Rockstar ones. So yeah, they're usually kind of the best of the best. So that's that's a good pick. Yeah. What about you? Um, I'll do something more immediate. I'm well. I guess it's coming out at the same time. I, I'm curious to see what, what Ubisoft does with Far Cry Five, um, mainly because of how dramatic a leap forward Assassin's Creed Origin was. Right. And I'm hoping that they're able to do something similar with Far Cry because literally the last three Far Cry games have been kind of carbon copies of one another. Like even the prehistoric one, <laughs> Far Cry mm. Primal, was using the same map as like the last game. Uh, and you could tell it was kind of DLC that they turned into a full game. So yeah. I, I'm really hoping for something kind of different and more diverse there. And I'm kind of I'm interested in all the political debates it's sure to spark as being somehow an inoffensive game about white cult people, but not making a political <laughs> statement at the same time. Like, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've played a little bit of it at E3 and, you know, it it's hard to tell from such a small amount. But I do like that it's in Montana. I like that it's it's taken a slightly different approach. I also have to say, I kind of like the Far Cry formula. Like as a shooter, I, I find them very engaging. Even, even like between three and four, how similar they were. I kind of didn't care that much just cause I like going out and taking over bases and flying planes and just all the crazy weird characters. So I don't think it needs to be as different as Assassin's Creed because that felt a little more stale. Those were coming out every year. Far Cry is coming out, uh, they, they haven't been nearly as many Far Cry games. So, I, yeah, that's that's a good one. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, for sure. And I, and I really hope that it sparks lots of um, unhealthy political debate on Twitter. That seems fun. to be a guarantee. But. <laughs> um, another one I'm looking forward to is a uh, little less well-known, um, Kingdom Come Deliverance. Have you seen anything about that? I do not know what that is. Okay. It's um, it's like Skyrim, but if it takes place in in Europe, medieval Europe. Oh, that's fun. So like a big open world medieval RPG with no magic or anything. Um, and it's, it's a European game. It looks, it looks really neat. And that comes that out in February. Okay. So yeah, that's soon then. That's yeah. probably one of those, the soonest ones out there. Yeah. Uh, I'll yeah. go the opposite end and do something super high budget AAA, which is Anthem. Um, I, I don't, this is the one where I am almost positive it will be delayed till 2019. Yeah. Uh, just because A, it's EA and B, it's such a massive, such a massive game that I would assume it's going to be delayed past its first release year. Um, but it is EA's answer to Destiny and The Division is like kind of its own cooperative loot shooter. And I am really, I'm excited to play it, but I am really curious to see what kind of controversies EA can stumble into with this one. Oh my, yeah. Whether it's whatever, however it's going to be monetized, if they'll have loot boxes and like how all that will work. Um, because both Destiny and The Division launched with really traditional kind of like, you know, here's the game, here's some DLC for 15, 20 bucks. And then eventually they kind of added more microtransactions later. But I would be amazed if Anthem is not like monetized to the gills up front. Or I guess EA could learn a lesson and not do that. Um, yeah, I I wouldn't put money on that, but <laughs> it's, I guess it's it, possible. It, you know, I think that I think I think that they did learn a lesson, though. I really do think that in some ways, Star Wars Star Wars Battlefront Two could be the canary in the coal mine that saves Anthem from ruin. It, I, it might still be a huge controversial game, but it could be that EA realizes from this experience that they can't push the limits that far and they have to scale back. And since Anthem is a, a Bioware IP, you know, EA owns it, they can do a lot with like customization stuff. They could have purely cosmetic items in loot boxes if they go the loot box route, which is what I'm guessing is going to happen. They can, but Bioware just finished making boatloads of money from Mass Effect 3 loot boxes, which gave you like distinct power advantages in, it was co-op play, so no one really complained, but yeah. They made a ton. It was, well, it was yeah. essentially a gotcha game. It was, you know, upgrade your heroes into different star levels and, and stuff like that. So hmm. 
that mm-hmm. that worries me a little bit, but I, I guess I'll believe that, it when I see it. <laughs> was that Andromeda or it was, three? It was Andromeda and three. They both had and that. three. Okay, Andromeda was right. pretty bad. <laughs> I never really tinkered with any of that stuff because, well, I just didn't get into the multiplayer portions of either of those games. So, yeah. I did. I did spend a hundred dollars on Call of Duty loot boxes just as an experiment. Oh, sure, yeah, as an experiment. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, <laughs> well, the the funny thing about them is they're very unsatisfying. Yeah, because there's just kind of garbage in there for the most part. Like, (laughs) there are some cool skins and stuff, right? But they're just, like, different uniforms. And, yeah, they're they're super... It's kind of, like, a weird... It's sort of weird doing the loot boxes in Call of Duty because I get... You get all these pistol grips and... Well, World War II, it's such a limited kind of, like, setting for what you can really do with customization, so... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, they they just came out with all the new winter stuff, and there's some pretty cool, like, long overcoats and stuff. Yeah. Which is which is neat, um, but you know, there's ten versions of each one, so yeah. it's it's not that satisfying. But that you know, in some ways, I like that because you shouldn't really you shouldn't have too much behind those loot boxes that that make people want to spend money because it gets to be so exploitative. And but anyways, we're getting off track. Uh, another one for me is um, coming up really soon. Nino Kuni Two: Revenant Kingdom. Did you play Nino Kuni? I did, and it. Exhaust. I liked it, and then it exhausted me at like yeah. hour fifty, and I'm like, "All right, this game is never going to end." <laughs> yeah, the, the combat system was really tedious. I mm-hmm. felt like, and I know they've overhauled that here for the second one, so I'm hoping that it's going to just be like everything that the first one should have been. Yeah, uh, because it was. I mean, I loved what they did with you know the animation, the art style, just like playing a Studio Ghibli video game, basically, and it was really cool. But it was just tedious as all get out. So. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. That's January, so that's really soon. All right, got all the soon ones. Um, yeah. I will cheat and I will lump two together: the the Sony package, God of War, and Last of Us Two. Which again, I don't know if both of those will hit 2018, but I guess we'll see. Um, I think I'm more excited for Last of Us Two because yeah, I think too. there's very little way, like little chance that that game is going to be bad. <laughs> I just, yeah. I don't think they know how to make bad games. Like even with this crazy as uncharted 4 development was supposedly like that was still an amazing game so i have faith that that's going to be really good and we'll have debates about how brutal it is and whatever whatever but like i think it'll be a fundamentally very great game um god of war i'm a little more nervous about it's it's a pretty big departure for the series into kind of a totally new way of doing things and unlike kind of last of us and uncharted like kratos to me feels like a character that's kind of gone where he's gonna go <laughs> yeah he killed every god in existence and now he's moving on to new gods that aren't even his old religion <laughs> now he's a viking killing viking yeah gods, I, I, I sort of wish um, that they had come up with a new character for that it, yeah if it seems like if you any know? series could have it, it would be this like maybe they're building it so his son takes over whoever that kid is i assume it's his oh son. that kid is probably the scariest thing about that game it, it, the last thing we saw of that game that kid talks the whole time. Yeah. If I have to stand around that whole game with that kid yelling at me and like, no, I won't, I won't do it. <laughs> it's yeah, going to be so, way too annoying. Exactly. So that's why I'm a little <laughs> worried about it. But yeah. again, all the God of War games are, are pretty good. So I, we'll see. Uh, picking up right there, that that's that's only half the Sony uh, package because there's also Days Gone and Spider Man. Oh yeah. Um, and both those games look pretty good. Uh, Days Gone, you know, kind of looks like. Uh, it looks very derivative in a lot of ways, That's you know? a little generic, if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it could still be fun, you know, depending on how it goes. Uh, it's kind of a, it's a zombie open world game, so who knows uh, what that's going to entail, really. But and it, it, lo- it does look kind of derivative and generic. But it, if it plays well, you know, it could be fun. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man looks fantastic. Yeah, I'm really excited for Spider-Man. Yeah, um, that's, that's one yet, of my... So. Yeah, it's just, it looks so good. It just... It looks mind blowing. It might. It may be one of the best games next year if it if it plays as well as it looks. Wow, uh, it's very exciting. I don't know if I go that no, far. Maybe. I, I, mean. I don't know. Like a good Spider Man game. Really, I haven't had one in a while. So that's true. Uh, um, and I don't think Last of Us is going to be launching next year. I'm with I, you on I that. So, so yeah. if, if anything's game delayed, it's that one. But. Um, Another one I'm just throw out there because we're talking about zombies is the uh, the new Walking Dead zombie game just got revealed and that actually looks pretty good. Is that too. 2018? Okay. They are saying 2018. Yeah, that's, yeah I mean, that's... the trailer was cool. I, I'm I'm very curious just to see what it's going to be like. But yeah, yeah, I, I I'm I'm always just looking for Walking Dead content that isn't the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I'm not like thrilled about the co-op thing. Like, I hope you can play solo. Also, I don't know how because I, I, I just I don't know. You can but yeah, if it's super co-op focused, I'm not really gonna be about that. Yeah, um, just can't do it. Switching back to console war stuff, I guess the two <laughs> quote-unquote big Microsoft games, yeah, uh, Sea of Thieves and Crackdown Three. Uh, sea of Thieves looks fun. I don't really think it's gonna be my thing per se. Yeah, because re- that really seems like a co-op game, and like it's, it's super cartoony. And like I'm sure that'll be a great game to stream. It feels like, yeah, because um, there's like kind of a lot of wacky stuff that can happen, and like that that looks kind of fun. I don't think it's gonna be like some blockbuster breakout hit or anything, but I, I have you know I have faith that'll be good. Uh, I have less faith in Crackdown Three, which yeah. everything I have seen from that game looks excruciatingly terrible even though it's had, like, a bazillion years for development, like, probably too long for development, frankly. And yeah. it was supposed to be an Xbox One X launch game, and it was delayed to some unspecified point in the future, and I would not be surprised if, if it died, like like the other Microsoft exclusives that have died recently. Um, that would be kind of an extreme case, but everything I've seen from that game looks very bad. <laughs> huh, that's so unfortunate. Microsoft is really having a hard time with content right now i feel like i just don't know if they're trying that hard like it just i don't know and like i guess we'll get another halo and another gears of war in a year or two but like man (laughs) those are kind of like halo should be coming out soon i feel like i don't know if it'll be 2018 maybe but again like those games are not innovating at all anymore really like right Gears of War, was it 4 came out? And, like, that was, like, the 15th biggest game of the year. Like, that was the most ignored game of, of the fall release window, I thought. Oh, I know. Yeah. Um, and Halo would do a little better. But, again, the, both of those are, are on are under new studios now from the original. And they're so trying to, like, reclaim the magic of the, the originals that they don't really move forward very well, I think. But yeah, I guess we'll see. I'm also looking forward to seeing what uh, the new, the next Call of Duty is because uh, I, I'm really curious more than anything. Like, are they going to stick that, with? I don't. Remember. It's um, it would be it Treyarch. Oh no, Infinity Ward had last year. Oh, does, uh, does that mean it has to be? It has to be Black Ops, right? I would assume. I mean, not necessarily. I don't but, think they're ready to give up the Black Ops brand. <laughs> well, I mean, but Treyarch made like World at War and stuff. You think they're so. going to do another World War Two one? I don't know. That would be surprising. But then again, like, how many futuristic ones did they throw at us? You also, know? I mean, Call of Duty World War II was a huge hit. Like, Huge hit. They didn't know it would be. Yeah. But, and so, know, but, but the thing is, yeah, this has been in development for two or three years already. So that, that, cook is, or that, that cookie is baked. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's why I thought it was funny when people were like, they're copying Battlefield 1. It's like, no, they were developing this before that. Just did and it probably kind of a year late, but it worked out. It, so. Yeah. it was. I really like World War II. It's still one of my favorite games of the year. No, it's very um, good. I still that's also I swear they need to make my zombie game where it's all zombies. I do agree. Yeah, and that would, that be, would awesome. be a great setting for a boots-on-the-ground Call of Duty game that is not World War II, that is not Black Ops, yeah, it's not modern could be warfare. A modern, it could be modern warfare, but like, you know, with the dead. Yes. That, that would be just perfect. And like your bandits and like ex-soldiers and whatever. Like yeah. that would be awesome. Yeah. But, so if they do that, cool. I'm taking credit and getting a yeah. 5% royalty check. <laughs> no one gets royalties in the video game business. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So here, it's to kind of pivot from like most anticipated games. What games do you think you'll be playing like ongoing games? you'll be playing in 2018 that came out hmm, either this year or last year um, or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck with destiny for the long haul. Like, yeah, you know, I, I it's not great <laughs> anymore. Really. Um, I will play the next DLC, which will be in the spring. There will be a, there will be a fall expansion. Uh, that will be pretty big. So I'll be playing that. So that, that is the only one I guess I can guarantee I'll still be playing. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I, there aren't really like kind of competitive multiplayer games that I just always go back to, like maybe Hearthstone a little bit, um, might go back to Overwatch, but like, I, I've been kind of putting aside those, those type of games. I should, I really need to get more into like PUBG and, and Fortnite because those yeah. are kind of the hot upcoming or ongoing games, but I, I haven't really fully committed to those yet. What about you? Yeah. Um, I'll probably be playing World War Two. um, and Destiny 2, and PUBG and Fortnite. Yeah, 
Those okay. all, all those ones for sure. Uh, I don't play a ton of PUBG or Fortnite, but I like to dive in once in a while. Um, I find them a little stressful in a way. Like sometimes I just can't do it too many rounds in a row. I played yeah. that Fortnite 50 versus 50 and I really didn't like it. Um, and I, I, I just didn't, I don't know. It was it just doesn't have the same tension as, as playing by yourself against everyone. Yeah, I uh, like the last, this, I played a few matches and then the last one, there was like 30 people on our team left. <laughs> we just slaughtered them. And it wasn't even fun. One guy. <laughs> you couldn't even find anyone to fight. It was like, okay, this is dumb. Yeah, I guess that's why it's optional. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's only, it's only last till like tomorrow, I think, or not very, or maybe a few more days. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a very short. Thing. Yeah, it's limited time. Yeah, so if you want to try it, you're going to get bring it back periodically. I'm sure. I'm sure they will. Yeah. Um, and then PUBG, I need to try out that desert map, and I need to try out the Xbox version. Yeah, um, that just went live. Which, today, so. yeah, which is going live now. So, um, in terms of like, yeah, I don't think there's anything really else. I, I did play through, you know, a lot of the Curse of Osiris and Destiny Two, and I thought it was okay. It was fine. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just it was just nothing to write home about. There's a lot of repetitiveness. The problem, the, the problem worst is, is like all the stuff people are not liking about Destiny Two. There wasn't really time to fix that for the first DLC, which was kind of like already made. So I think yeah. once again, like Destiny One, we're gonna go through this slow, long process of like, oh, we're working on all the things, guys. But like, you would hope they would have learned all the lessons from the first three years. So we wouldn't have to do this yeah. all over again. <laughs> but that seems to be what we're doing. But I think they started from a, a better base than Destiny One. So despite the issues. I, yeah. I still am somewhat hopeful for the long the long game. Yeah, well, I think 2018 is going to be an interesting year. One one thing I, I will say that we haven't mentioned any Nintendo Switch games. Because what um, was planned? Because I, I, I was trying I to think know. of that. Um, I don't think anything I, like the next Pokemon Switch game will be out or anything. Th- that's why I was a little worried about 2017, because it was such a stacked year for Nintendo that... I'm genuinely not sure what comes out. And, like, I, I guess they don't really announce stuff that far ahead of time sometimes um, in some cases. But it is a little weird that we can't think of a single <laughs> Nintendo game. Uh, yeah, well, so. actually, it's not just that we can't think of one. I've gone to the Wikipedia page 2018 video game releases, and I do not see any listed at all. At all. Because I mean, when you think about it, we've we've got to be getting a new Smash Brothers at some point. We've got to be getting, I would think, its own Mario Kart and like maybe some of the Mario Sports games. Um, yeah. Metroid probably is probably some... at least another year or so away. I don't I think know. that'll be 2018. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's I, well. Okay, I think. Hold on. There are some. I, I was missing these down here. Um, there are. There's like Dragon Quest Builders, which is a fun game that's coming to uh, that's, the that's Switch. Yeah, it's just. Being ported. Yeah. Um, ports there's some indie count. games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. That's that uh, uh, Castlevania style game from the creator of Castlevania. That's coming to the Switch Is and Bayonetta a bunch of other platforms. 2018? I know they uh, just announced Bayonetta, I don't think they had Bayonetta 1 and 2 are definitely coming out. I know that is, but they also teased 3. If they didn't have a date, um, I assume that's not 2018, but... Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't see it on here um, as a with an actual date. It might be like to be announced still. Yeah. Uh, but that'll be fun to have another Bayonetta. Um, mm-hmm. Those are good games. Uh, Mon- uh, let's see. I think there's a Monster Hunter game coming to the Switch, isn't there? Monster Hunter World is. I think that's going to Switch. No, that's is that that's only PS4. Next. Oh, no, that's not. There, I, I thought um, the other Monster Hunter game was already on Switch, but I might be wrong. Yeah, I, I don't know. So it's just there's nothing like huge that I can think of though. You know, like I mean they'll have, they'll have to have something for fall, so I would yeah. assume they've got a couple things up their sleeve, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean they've got like the Fire Emblem and there's a Yoshi game and all this stuff that they haven't announced. Um so I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about it soon, but yeah, not a ton of stuff. Um what's this Travis Strikes Again? That's that's that looks like a weird game. No more heroes. Yeah, no more heroes. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I guess that's you know, there's a lot of stuff. As with you know, we're in December of 2017, and by the time you know a few months have passed, certainly by E3 we'll have a lot more games that that'll be announced. Um, but yeah, for now I guess yeah we've covered the bases. So uh, let us know what games you guys are looking forward to, and uh, thanks for listening.
That's it for this episode of World. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast1. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. Podcast One has new shows on our new app. Check out all the cool features to help you explore our exciting new programming, like America's Lakers podcast with Jay Moore, Sessions with Randy Jackson, So Random with Corinne Olympios, Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's podcast, Not Just Sports with Susie Schuster and Rich Eisen, and Sound of Success, the Dick Enberg podcast, as well as your old favorites like The Lady Gang, Steve Austin, Shaquille O'Neal, and Adam Carolla. Get the new Podcast One app in the App Store, Google Play, or PodcastOne.com. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. <laughs> Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying. And the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.